0: Psalm 7 uh, really continues, uh, in a sense, that wrong thing that we saw over the weeks. Uh, lament, uh, expressions of honesty, uh, and hopefulness before God. I wonder if you've ever been wrongly accused of something. I wonder if you've ever uh, been told that you've done something, uh, and actually you're completely innocent. I wonder... Uh, how you would react, if that was the situation, if that's what was happening, Uh, and you found yourself being accused, and then the knock on the door, the police come, Uh, the accusation comes to court, and suddenly uh, you're convicted. It it sounds far-fetched in some sense, but uh, sadly it so often happens these days, so often it's true that there are charities that exist, in a sense, to see people who are wrongly convicted. Uh, Set free. Even in the last few weeks in the news, uh, uh, there's been the story of Andrew Malcolmson, who spent 17 years in jail, uh, exhausted every avenue of appeal uh, until finally evidence that was had for his whole time uh, was tested and he was released uh, after being proven beyond a shadow of doubt that he had nothing to do with the crime. What would you do if you were wrongly accused? Would you protest your innocence again and again? Uh, would you try and find help from someone or something? Uh, that's the question that rings from this psalm as David uh, laments and begins to lament. In his honesty and in his approach uh, we see straight away that what he's facing is a wrong accusation. Slander in a sense if we want to use those words. Uh, and it's well at his heart the words of Uh, the Cushite, are those that echo uh, and curse him here. King David, who is the author of the backdrop here isn't exactly clear but what is clear is possibly that this is during the season he's on the run from Saul or some other adversary who is challenging him who is questioning him, who is not just questioning who he is, but how he lives. Words of slander. Accusations that are false and david knows that but nonetheless hurtful deeply hurtful and where does david turn for help he's alone at this point he is cut off from his support from his family from his friends he has no one to turn to or so it would seem and yet time and time again we see here. That David knows where to turn to as he turns to God in seeking justice because he knows that God is the one who does these things. If we draw parallels to today, we so often see wrongful convictions of justice and miscarriages. Tragic. Uh, They're no more less common today than they would have been years ago when people like Andrew, that we heard about, remind us that errors occur. And yet, there is one who remains true. And so as we reflect on the psalm for a few minutes, uh, let it serve as a reminder, in a sense, that in a world of up and down, there is one constant. The first two verses, David enters us into this situation and all that's going on, as he wrestles with what he is facing, he is simply honest before God. There's nothing else than what to say. He has been honest with the sound we've looked at, and here this honesty continues. Lord, my God, I take my refuge in me. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me, or they will tear me apart like a lion. We live in a world where often everything appears to be perfect. Social media is the place where we present the best picture of ourselves. Uh, the things that we want people to see. Uh, We live in a world that uh, appears to be perfect and, if we're honest, seems to struggle with imperfection. It's not just the world uh, out there in the sense of the world that we live in, Uh, but sadly, if we're being honest with ourselves, churches know often better. Uh, If we're scanning the internet and we come across live streams of services, They're always perhaps polished, and we wonder how that experience of church seems to so transcend what we know. If we're in church, we find ourselves sitting beside uh, the same people time and time again, people we've known for years, and if we're honest, perhaps people we don't know that well. Why? Because it's hard to be honest. Honesty is a vulnerable thing. It requires us to trust. And to be open, and yet here in David's honesty before God, we're invited in a sense, reminded to see that it's a beautiful thing. We think in church that we're meant to be a certain way, we're meant to dress a certain way, that we have to present our best selves perhaps, and yet. Here in the scriptures, we are reminded that we don't come before God in perfection, we don't come before God in the sense of bringing our best self. No, we simply come before God with honesty and with openness of heart. And if that is how we approach, in a sense, the Almighty God, the throne of heaven, then when we gather in His name, that approach should ring true for us. If we're called in a sense, if what's modelled here is honesty before God, then what should be lived in the people of God is honesty among ourselves. And of course, it's not saying that everything is known and needs to be known, but it's that there's something different to how we live among ourselves than the world. That our Sunday best is simply ourselves, that our Sunday appearance is the life that we live and what we're going through. And in that community of honesty and love, it's what we see so clearly modeled throughout the scriptures, Jesus and the disciples, the early church in Acts, where God is, hearts are open, truth is known, and love is shared in that relationship. This church should be one of the most honest spaces in our lives. And yet, if we're honest, it can often be one of the hardest spaces to come into. We're afraid that we might offend or do things wrong. When all that God wants from us is us. is that we approach him as we are and receive from him. That which he gives to us by faith. In the Church of Ireland, in Anglicanism, our liturgy flows through that stage of honesty. We've already just done it, that moment when we confess our sins. It's a moment when we pause. And when we together and individually, before God, acknowledge in a sense the things we have done that we shouldn't have. And there's things that we have left undone. That we don't do that to burn ourselves with guilt, but rather to be reminded time and time again that we are in need of God. And if we're honest with ourselves, it's only because of God that we exist. It's honesty in our worship as we approach the Scripture and are reminded each week, in a sense, from whatever the readings are, of who God is and who we are, not because of what we have done but because of what he has done and thus the prayer of David here, I come to you for protection O Lord my God, the NLT puts it, save and deliver me from all who pursue me or they will tear me apart like a lion. There is no one else. David is honest from the very first word because he knows God. He has walked with him. He has lived with him, and he sees him. So when he's in the valley of shadow of death, and he's on the mountaintop, uh, what we see is a consistent pattern in David's life of eventually knowing that he must go to God in all that he is going through. We've no excuse to be honest here, but to be honest. And David is honest before God because he for brought to realise that God is good, so can can be trusted, but more than that, that God knows already everything. And if God knows already what we're in and what we're going through, then there's nothing to fear in simply being honest with him, our concerns, our worries, the waves of what we're going through, our joys, our thanksgiving, because it reveals more than that, our heart, and if we walk with Him by faith, then we delight in Him by faith And what is, a, what is a sign of a good relationship if not communication? A husband and a wife have a healthy marriage, I presume uh, You can nod it if it's right If they talk to one another, nod That's right It helps, communication helps and as we walk with god we're honest with god that, that honestly expands in verses three to five as david is, starts to unpack for us what it is he's going through there are if you're looking at it there three f statements that reveal something of what he's feeling something of what he's praying. it's not just about being pursued we begin to realize it's not just that he's lonely it's that he's been wrongly accused if i have done wrong if there is injustice on my hands if i have harmed my allies or plundered my adversary uh, wrongly if, if if david cries and if of these three things then lord have justice on me david is not afraid to pay the price for the wrong things done. But in this case, he knows he's innocent. So he prays for justice. He prays that the Lord might do something to help him. It all comes together then in verse 5. The words there, this sort of great challenge. Then, Lord, let my enemy pursue thee and overtake me. Let him trample the life, my life to the ground. And let him make me sleep in the dust. If I have done wrong, says David, then I will stand and bear the cost of the wrong that I have done. Selah, the psalm, says, we're to pause here, we're to think of what David has prayed before we see what comes next. And what comes next is simply a cry for direct intervention. David no, he is not. He has done no wrong in this case. It's not that he's without sin. There are many moments uh, when David wrongs the Lord, but he has led his case before God. He has been honest with the Lord, and now he makes his petition. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Verse six goes on as he prays that God would act. Paused and considered the situation David is in. And now, as we listen, we begin to see something here, something profound. Because what David's praying for isn't that God, in the individual sense, will make right the wrongs that he has faced. It's far better than that, it's far more profound. As David prays, he simply prays that God would bring justice to the world. It's a prayer in the the big sense of all that is going on. Yes, he has been wronged. Yes, he is concerned for his own well-being. But what he prays is that God would do what God is already doing, working in the world. He recognizes for us that God is the judge of all that he's in control of all that is going on David has been wronged, David has had difficulty he finds himself alone, defeated and isolated and yet in his prayer he never doubts that God is not at work he never doubts that God is not in control of all things we've all been there we all experience that difficulty, that isolation in life where we wonder where God is. If there is even a God perhaps. And David has been here and is here in a sense in that psalm. And yet his prayer reveals to us the grounding of his life. Not who he is, not the throne that might be his, not the armies that he might command none of those things give him value. what grounds him what keeps him is that God is good and that God is in control that that image of the, the, the gathered people around the throne on high that the Lord judges the peoples David says in verse 8 as he sits and it, in, in, in scripture the image of God seated on the throne is one simply of God being victorious he doesn't need to stand to make judgment because he is in control and so the prayer of David is placed in the sense in the big picture of who God is and what God is doing in the world as he prays those words vindicate me Lord according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, bring to an end the violence of the wicked, and make the righteous secure. You, the righteous God, who probes the minds and hears, He trusts that as God is working, God is at work. And what do we see then in verses twelve to sixteen that no matter the situation that God we find ourselves in, the world finds itself in. That God is good. See, as Lewis says, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. And as we go through life, as we age and begin to experience more profoundly the norms and difficulties of all that is of all that we go through we begin to realize that to live is to change we grow older our bodies become a little less mobile our energy becomes a little less and with each change uh, we realize that with time the world to your eyes changes. Uh, in a sense everything is changing and yet here David is clear that there is one thing that does not change, not him, not his throne nor dominions nor the buildings that he might build but God. In a changing world the psalm reminds us there is one who does not change, God. He is the sure foundation to see him today yesterday and forever he is always good and david grounds in a sense his prayer his petition his hope and his longing in the unchanging nature of who god is and while we might change we live and worship and trust in a god who does not but gives us refuge because we have constantly through life the God that we know now is the same God that we will know in the years to come and is if by faith in Christ the same Lord that we will dwell with in eternity always good always merciful always faithful and it's hard to hear that sometimes when we find ourselves facing difficulty or loss but it's true he is a refuge in the storm. God is the enduring sanctuary in a sense that we see here. Whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit they have made. Their trouble their cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own head. The world in a sense will tumble in its own schemes, David says. But all of this is spoken on the foundation verse 10 and 11 my shield is God most high who saves the upright in heart God is the righteous judge God who displays his judgment every day and thus the question becomes for us whatever we find ourselves in now wherever we have been whatever may be ahead Are we rooted and building on the one who is steadfast and sure, the God of our salvation, who reveals himself to us in Christ, who makes himself known in a sense every day by the gifts that we receive, who is here with us as we gather for worship? God who is good. Verse 13. And 14 and 15 uh, unpack this sense that God sees and knows all that is going on. He is all knowing, all powerful, and all good. And He loves you. And thus, a psalm of lament, in a sense, where David answers or responds to a wrong accusation. It's difficult to hear, it's been difficult to read, but it doesn't finish on difficulty. Verse 17, I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing the praises of the Lord most high. Praise. As we've read the words of the psalm, there doesn't really seem to be much to be thankful for. David is worried, alone, isolated, despondent by the false accusations of Benjamin, the I'm oh, sorry, of Cush, a Benjaminite. He's heavy, his shoulders hunched, he's exhausted by whatever the season is. And yet, He still finds reasons to be thankful. He still finds reasons to rejoice. The emotion of the sound culminates in this prayer of sense of thanksgiving. I will give thanks to the Lord. Not because of the situation that he finds himself in. Not because of something that he has received. Not because of something that might be ahead that is positive. David doesn't clause his praise and thankfulness on anything but who God is because of his righteousness. David is thanking God because of who God is. I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord Most High. And we're simply reminded at the end here, that, regardless of the season of life we're in, that regardless of what we feel or face or worry about or are thankful for, that in God there is always reason to be thankful. If we are those who know Him by faith, walk with Him by the Spirit, live with Him eternally, and regardless of what we find ourselves facing, those things are important to God. It's not to diminish the experience of our life or the worries of our day, but that in those things, we too should be those and can be those who will say, I will give thanks to the Lord because he is good. I will sing the praises of the Lord most high because he is has been good to me. Think of the words of that great hymn. It is well with my soul. That range of the praises that regardless of the days, we will say it is well because of who God is. David is so vulnerable here, as we finish. We see the beauty of authenticity, of honesty, of openness before God, yes, but also as the people of God. And if we are to be honest in a sense before the throne of heaven, then a natural outworking of that will be an authenticity on how and who we are among ourselves as this community of faith. We will trust and learn in our love of one another to be authentic with one another, to be our real selves, to know that this is not to be a place of perfection place of worship and honesty before God because of who God is that it's not to be anything else but what the Lord desires and thus as David is vulnerable and prayers that the Lord works we're reminded of our sense, in a sense sorry to be as he is John Stott writes the essence of sin is a man or a person substituting himself for God while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man and as David finishes the psalm of thankfulness and cries of praise we are those who know far more fully the righteousness of God we are those who live after the cross where Jesus in our stead took upon himself that would separate us from God, our sin. has made it possible for us to not only read these words, to believe these words, but to say these words as children of God, by relationship, through faith, not our striving nor our effort will do, but the blood of Christ that has been won for you. So my prayer is that if we're being honest with ourselves and honest with one another that first and foremost we will have been honest in a sense and confess our need of God and then rejoice as God calls us to him and enables us to walk with him by the spirit and then as we gather as a community as we live out our lives of pain we do so being those who will say regardless of sin or season i will give thanks to the lord because of his righteousness and goodness i will sing his praises of his name until the day when we will dwell with him